Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson to run the rule over the past week in the world game. News including the latest on the Socceroos and Matildas with Willem van Dendert, including the latest report on the World Cup preparations from our man in guitar, Michael Edgley. But before all that, our attention will focus very soon to that Men's World Cup, which we referred to over the next couple of months. What exciting times we are in for. But as we're well aware by now, Australia have drawn what no less than Matilda's legend Heather Garriock described as the group of death in next year's Women's World Cup to be co-hosted on home soil. The Matildas will face Tokyo gold medalist Canada, Republic of Ireland and Nigeria in Group B. Canada is the reigning Olympic champions and recently beat the Matildas in back-to-back home matches and they're the highest ranked opponent uh, in Australia's pot. The Republic of Ireland were the third ranked in their pot, 24th, but beat the Matildas last year in Nigeria were the highest ranked in their pot and the most successful team in African history so far from advancing deep into the tournament. Just getting out of the group will be a huge task, which we'll discuss with ESPN's Stephanie Brands to dissect the Matildas and the rest of the Women's World Cup draw. Then after a morale-boosting Champions League win over Ajax uh, midweek following the loss to bottom-placed Forest at the city ground, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool managed to find a way to get beaten at home against a resilient Leeds to not only ensure they wouldn't challenge for the title this season, but to create an even mightier challenge to finish in the top four and qualify for the Champions League next year, should they, of course, not win it in the current campaign. To dissect just what is going on at Anfield, we'll be joined by the Athletics' James Pearce. So, Derek, a, a jam-packed show. So if you couldn't have an Arsenal uh, guest to talk about how well your team is flying, I guess one of the alternatives was uh, to to trawl through the entrails of uh, of the, uh, the chaotic times at one of your um, mortal enemies in the world of football. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, I I wouldn't call Liverpool a mortal enemy, actually. Um, they've maybe become more so since since we became acquainted a few years ago. But I've I've never never thought too badly about the red the red half of Liverpool. I'm very um, fond and respectful of the uh, the history there. But um, yeah, it isn't a good time for Liverpool. It will be interesting to see what you know James Pearce has, has has got to say because I think we've all been expecting this form just to turn around and as you said all the green shoots have been absolutely stamped out uh over the course of the weekend it was a, a dreadful result for the reds yeah it sure was uh, and look uh willem you got plenty more for us mate so uh why don't we get straight we're going to kick off the socceroos from a political perspective this week rob they've released a collective statement regarding qatar's human rights record according to global players union fief pro no competing side have been as engaged with the issue as the aussies the tournament's supreme committee praised the side for raising important issues but noted no country is perfect and that robust implementation of labor laws is a global challenge including in australia rob jackson irvine was at the forefront someone uh, that you've known and a family uh, that you've known for for a long time um, how did you feel taking in this statement and this week, yeah, look, I think it was great. I know we touched on this last week, and and we we um, you know, we were at pains to to uh, to, to, to try and, and bring the, the football and the and the legitimate political causes together, and and find a way where where each could coexist um, in some kind of uh, well, harmony is not the word, but at least could coexist. So when um, when Jackson was was one of the leading voices. Uh, 
in uh, in that statement. Um, I was uh, I was quite proud. Um, I was a little mystified to hear a few uh, leading voices in the media come out and um, and criticise the Socceroos. I mean, what else did they expect them to do? I mean, if they had said nothing, they would have been just as loud in their criticism. So you know, you sort of you can't win uh, in in this sort of scenario. And uh, if the the reaction from the rest of the world's football media is anything to go by, um, I think they they've earned the highest of praise. And uh, and in all of the international media that I read, um, the story was picked up immediately and uh, and praised for uh, the way that it was presented and handled. So to Jackson and the boys, uh, and to Football Australia for allowing uh, the. Well, facilitating is probably a better word. Um, the, this message, uh, I say, um, well done to all of them. Yeah, I think very much driven by Jackson, Matt Ryan and Bailey Wright in consultation with the uh, with the PFA. Derek, scepticism from a global perspective around what happens post-tournament. It's all well and good to sort of have what could be sort of labelled platitudes and things put in place. Uh, then the you know, the, the World Cup packs up and they all move on. The Socceroos, not saying that this is the reason that they're doing it, but they have a reason to uh, to see it through. They're going to be going back there for the 2024 Asian Cup. So I suppose one of the more important messages to come uh, through this was that they are committed post-World Cup to making sure that these things are drilled down and that, as I say, the uh, the carnival doesn't just pack up and move on. Yeah, I'll just echo the thoughts of everyone, uh, really. It, it's, a, it's a really tough thing. This is not an easy an easy thing. I think, I think Edge and others have mentioned it on the show before a lot of people saying well if you don't like it don't go to the tournament i just don't think that that's an option for uh, for anybody and and look they're not the only team that have addressed this like they're the first to sort of have written it down and have it presented in such a way but we've we've reported that denmark have made made a pretty bold statement with their their choice of kits we've obviously got the the armbands that a lot of the captains are going to wear so um Look, it's really tough. I think this feels to me like a player-driven initiative, as you said. This doesn't feel like the PR machine cranking into action saying, or corporate affairs going, oh, we need to say something. This feels player-led. It feels authentic, and and it sits well with me. Bruno Fornaroli has left Perth Glory and could line up for New Club Melbourne victory as early as Friday's meeting with Newcastle. Fortaroli scored 35 goals in 79 games for the for the for Perth, earning a Socceroos debut in March, memorably, but has reportedly fallen out with new coach Ruben Zadkovic. Meanwhile, reigning champions Western United remain winless after four matches this season. The latest a 4-2 loss to the Mariners, having led 2-0. So that's a uh, a story that we'll keep an eye on over the coming weeks, Rob. But for now, El Tuna, 35 years old, a scoreword of Melbourne City uh, and Perth Glory, now returns to Amy Park. Uh, and he's in similar fashion to the falling out he had with Warren Joyce and Scott Jamison had some interesting comments on the A-League Players podcast with Robbie Cornthwaite around how sometimes Bruno likes to set his own standards when it comes to training and application, but uh, what can't be denied is he knows how to find the goals, and that's what victory need because they've just drawn blanks for the third weekend in a row. What do you think? You're, you're uh, as much as you're uh, an unbiased uh, uh, analyst of football. Uh, when you're reporting on the game, you, you are a self-confessed uh, uh, victory supporter. So, um, what do you think of this? I mean, it seems like the, the roundabout of of A League um, uh, players just continues on. I mean, I, I would never have thought that Bruno Fonaroli uh, of all uh, players would have ended up at uh, at victory, but uh, it, it shows how how desperate Tony Popovich uh, must be to to, to 
find some uh, ready-made goal-scoring capacity uh, in Australia to to uh, to uh, to try and rectify that issue. Yeah, well, he's back to Nick D'Agostino uh, to be the the sole striker this year. Last year, he had Francesco Margiotta there, and he gave them both opportunities, and the the heat was on very much for that starting spot. This year, he's backed in D'Agostino, and I wouldn't say it hasn't worked. He scored in round one, hasn't scored in the last three, but uh, yeah, Fornaroli. It's an interesting one that his uh, his application and his fitness can be questioned because Popovich is known as uh, as a king who rules with an iron fist, basically. But he's worked uh, with him at Perth. Clearly knows what he's getting, and uh, he'll uh, he'll get a quick return. So no, I think from a uh, from a cold hard football perspective, victory absolutely need to start finding some goals. And if he's available, uh, you've got to go out and get him. To Japan, Kevin Muscat, Yokohama will take a two point lead into the final day of the J League this Saturday when they host Vissel Kobe. The Marinos routed Urawa four one on Saturday, while second place Kawasaki kept the pressure on with a two one win over coincidentally Vissel Kobe. Uh, Yokohama have played uh, Kobe three times under Musket for two league wins and a loss in the round of 16 in the Champions League. All final round match to be played at 4pm Australian Eastern time on Saturday. So Rob, the draw looks likely to be enough, but given the mood that Yokohama were in on Saturday, they absolutely dominated. Uh, so I don't think that's what they're, uh, what they're after. With that kind of bounce back to form, with one game to go and, and one point required, a, a, a mid-table club who've been inconsistent, and their um, their uh, opponent, or not opponent, but the uh, uh, the the team that can beat them for for the the premiership, uh, Kawasaki, have got uh, uh, the might of Tokyo, who uh, have. Um, well, they've not been at their their imperious best this season, but still sixth on the ladder. Uh, they've been competitive and, and a threat. So, um, we, I guess, you know, we're speaking in as much a hope as anything. But uh, you'd think that um, that it's for uh, it's for Muskie's uh, boys to lose. Finally, mentioned for Sam Kerr, who's been a little bit quiet as part of Matilda Central over the last little. It's only scored one goal in ten uh, until this week, where she became the first player to score four goals in a single a single Women's Champions League group stage matches. Chelsea put eight past Valencia of Albania. Uh, Sam's backed it up with another in the league uh, in a three-one win over Aston Villa. Chelsea sit level on top spot with fifteen points, although they've played an additional game. Uh, Steph Catley unfortunately gave away the opener for Arsenal, uh, but no harm done. They rallied to a three-one win. Uh, and they've become the first side in uh, English Women's Super League history to win 13 on the bounce. And at Man City, Rob Haley Rasso came off the bench with six to go and scored the winner, I'm sorry to say, against Liverpool. So that sees Man City fourth. Uh, and good to see the Aussies once again getting it done at the very pointy end of the English Women's Super League. Yeah, no, well, it's uh, the kind of form we, we need to find from our women and uh, which we are going to talk about in a little more detail after the break with Stephanie Brantz. Uh, Stephanie is one of the authorities on the women's game in this country and uh, not only does she know a lot but she's just a fun person to talk to and and has uh, some uh, honest uh, analysis and opinions uh, that she's uh, she's not afraid to give regardless of uh, who she's talking about so uh, stick around after the break on box to box we're going to talk to stephanie brantz about the matilda's draw in next year's women's world cup time to talk chemist warehouse on box to box now, I've got to give a shout out to my great friends at Chemist Warehouse. Every year for the past, however many years since Chemist Warehouse has existed, every year they have a massive function where they showcase to the, the trade, the pharmaceutical trade, the media industry, what their plans are for the next year and what a juggernaut Chemist Warehouse are. The likes of Mario Tasconi up there on stage, Mario Verrocchi, a lovely little clip, driving a, a forklift, wearing a high-vis vest. My good friends Richard Farakawa and Elias Bubbles up on the stage there presenting... 
uh, all the, the team from Chemist Warehouse and uh, and what another big, big year it's going to be for our friends. And the reason for that is they make sure that we get to save every single day. And with the cost of living going through the roof on just about everything, you want to make a beeline to Chemist Warehouse to save on your half-price vitamins. Because, Willem, you need to get uh, some of your multivitamins before you, you head overseas, don't you? I certainly do, yeah. And I need to make sure the toiletries bag is, uh, is stocked, but within the seven kilo carry-on. But no, absolutely, I'll, I'll be jamming as many care chemist warehouse uh, goodies as I possibly can. Well, this will only take about 50 to 100 grams of that. The Swiss men's or women's, you might uh, want to uh, buy some for uh, for a friend. Uh, the Ultivite multivitamins, 120 tablets, just 29.99. That's better than half price. The Swiss Ulti Boots vitamin D400 capsules for 15.99. Derek, you wouldn't have needed much vitamin D. You got the natural stuff, but now that you're back uh, in Melbourne, you might need to get a hold of it at 15.99. I think everyone in Melbourne needs to get vitamin D because ever since I landed from far north Queensland, I have not seen the sun at all here in uh, here in Hillsville. It's been dire. So get your vitamin D. I get it. I get it in every single day. Absolutely. The Ultiboost vitamin D, 400, 15.99. And the Swiss Ultiboost magnesium. If you need some sleep, you need some muscle relaxation, 200 tablets for 22.99. That's right. Half price. Chemist okay, Warehouse, great savings every single day. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. No less than Heather Gary, I called it the group of death. So if she's going to say it's the group of death, then I'm going along with it in the Women's World Cup next year where the materialists will face the Tokyo gold medalist Canada, the Republic of Ireland and Nigeria in Group B. And to talk to us about it is, uh, well... She's our favourite analyst of football uh, with, well, ESPN, with the ABC, um, with pretty much everyone who who puts uh, credible football content out there. (laughs) Stephanie Branch, how are you? Rob, that was amazing. Can you do my biography? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, More than happy to, Steph. Um, But, hey... um, uh, are we exaggerating? I mean, everyone loves the, you know, the sobriquet, the group of death. It gets rolled out no matter what, whether there is one or not. But, but uh, you know, the way that the Matildas are going right now, despite uh, a recent, uh, you know, blip in the uh, in the upward trajectory, uh, <laughs> you'd have to say it is a fair income group of death. It's a challenging group. Can I go with that? Uh, it shouldn't be a group of death, but in our current situation, it's probably the least desirable countries that we could have drawn in our group, if if you want to put it that way. Two countries that we've obviously lost to in, in recent times and Nigeria, who's uh, won the uh, African Cup of Nations, uh, so I think it's seven times, is it? They're, they've been African champions a number of times. So they're going to be uh, a different sort of challenge. It's eminently doable. And I'm not sure, having having looked through all the groups, that, are is, that there is actually a group of death but uh, certainly for the Matildas from an Australian perspective there's work to do. Let's talk about Canada for a moment. Um, there wasn't a lot that we saw uh, um, uh, in green and gold um, against that Canadian side that would give you great cause for confidence that we're going to be able to knock them off and and and, and, uh, and finish top of the group. Yeah that's true to a certain extent uh, Rob and I spoke to I was lucky enough to go over to the draw and speak to a number of the coaches straight afterwards. And one of them was Bev Priestman, who I hugely admire what she's done with this Canadian side. Obviously, they are the defending Olympic champions, so uh, we're, we're not talking about any easy beats by any means. But even she said that during the World Cup, it's a different proposition. You know, these these 
big tournaments are uh, there's not so much luck involved, but you never face an easy team and anything can happen on the day and then you're knocked out. Uh, but I, I love what she's done with this side. She's got them very well organised. She brought uh, effectively a second string team over to Australia and they were still able to to get past the Matildas, which I, I think my concern was more that we couldn't close them down, not so much that we didn't uh, get so many in at the other end. It's, it's, it's a tricky one, but... I think that Australia, with the injury struggles they've had, should they be at full strength, uh, they'll be more than a match for Canada. But I think that will definitely be the, the trickiest one in that group. Uh, I, I do uh, concur with what you've said that in the previous uh, visits here, uh, those last two matches didn't instill us with a huge amount of confidence. But we haven't had that really since Tony Gustafsson took over his tenure and... I think now we're really getting a picture of of where we're at. I think the best uh, idea of, of where we stand and, and our our progress in that space will be against Sweden uh, on uh, in in November in, in in a week's time, because that will really tell us against a a highly ranked team who I imagine will be pull, putting out a full strength team, uh, what, what we look like. But I'm, I'm more perturbed, and I mentioned this to Bev when I spoke to her, by the fact that uh, Canada effectively have now had their training run on, on our home soil and mm. they've had a chance to get a grasp of what that travel looks like and what the conditions might look like at an almost uh, similar time of the year. And that's given them a wealth of knowledge to take back and how to prepare. So I think that's probably more of a concern. Steph, just going back to the draw, European champions England are in Group D and the winner of that group uh, plays the runner-up of Group B, which could well be the Matildas. Uh, I won't say the Poms, but dare we entertain the thought of getting knocked out by the Lionesses on home soil? At this stage, if we come in number two, I would 100% say we'll be farewelling the competition in the round of 16. Uh, sounds horribly harsh, but England have just been in impressive form. Uh, Serena Wiegmann was another one of the coaches that I spoke to over in New Zealand uh, after the draw, and she's enormously humble, but her record goes before her. What she did with the Dutch women in the, the previous Euros and then with England again this time, what she does, and I, and I mentioned it before in the answer to Rob's question, is that consistency. And she used the same starting 11 for every single match during the Euros. And uh, the substitutes, if you look at them, she used between three and five, but they all came on at similar times. Players knew what to expect. They knew their role. They understood it. And, and that contributed to the enormous success that they have had had and they're also riding a massive wave of confidence because that was truly extraordinary i think you'll agree with the, what the women's euros did for for female football should australia come up against them uh yeah that's going to be challenging that's that's really going to be a uh hope your home ground advantage and your, your 12th man in the 12th women 12 12th people in the stand get you home uh what Australia need to do is avoid that uh, that proposition and actually finish top of their group. And the US are looking to become the first side, men's or women's, to win three consecutive World Cups. Uh, they're going to play all three of their games, just a quirk of the draw in New Zealand against Netherlands, Vietnam and a, and a qualifier. Given the juggernaut and a sort of cultural phenomenon they are in the women's game, I mean, it's not just our World Cup, it's, it's New Zealand's World Cup as well. But from a commercial point, is there something of a bit of a bummer here that we're not going to see them play uh, a group stage match here? They possibly won't play here at all? Yeah, I think so. Well, I think, and if I'm understanding the match schedule correctly, that the USA would have to get to the final to actually play on Australian soil. 
that's just how it's worked how it's worked out i do have to admit that i watched the draw with some trepidation because as you know uh, spain england usa france sweden and germany were all in pot one so they were all going to be first in their relative groups and they would have had to be in b d f or h to play in australia as it was group d is england and group e is usa so we've avoided that possibility that neither of those sides would be in australia so the fact that uh, new zealand has has usa playing there uh, do you know i think it's lovely because but both countries deserve a a really uh, top prospect uh, playing there and and as for the usa's group well <laughs> you've got to feel for vietnam their first time in a world cup and their opening match is against the usa <laughs> It doesn't get much tougher than that for them. Uh, I think they'll be really excited. And and I spoke to one of their team managers. The, the, the coach wasn't there, but the team manager said, oh, we're so excited to be here and, and, and what their prospect brings, which is fantastic. And I think that's how you have to look at it. We, we know what the USA are capable of. We also saw, though, uh, how the other countries are closing the gap. And that will become more evident in the latter stages of this World Cup. Uh, however, Netherlands looks the Netherlands look like the the toughest prospect in that group. A very talented team, of course, uh, the Dutch women. But you know you can't see anyone other than those two finishing one and two. So I, I think that USA will top that group. Uh, they know how to play big tournaments. And yeah, it's it's disappointing that we wouldn't see them here till the final. But uh, yeah, it. You've got to say, as a, as a fan of women's football and, and an Australian, you think, wouldn't it be nice to have a US Matildas final? Is there a game or a group that, that stands out that jumped off the page at you? Brazil and Argentina in the same group, Argentina, Italy and Sweden in Group G. Is there a particular match that you've got uh, circled in the calendar straight away? Yeah, I've got, I've got a few actually. And, and I, I do have to say that the USA-Netherlands is, is one I'm really looking forward to. Having seen the Matildas play the Netherlands in Holland prior to France 2019, uh, they're exciting to watch. And, and I hope they can they can take it to the to the Americans. Uh, an interesting one will be Group C, which has got Spain and Japan, uh, which could be challenging. We saw the Japanese women do go so well uh, a number of years ago now, and they've been rebuilding. So it'll be interesting to see what they can bring. Uh, and then Sweden and Argentina, Italy and South Africa in Group G. I think that will be uh, interesting to see how that pans out, but the, I think the Swedes should do it there. Uh, Group F has got France, Jamaica, Brazil, and, of course, we've got a, a playoff, so we don't know who that fourth one is, but that could very well turn out to be uh, an incredibly exciting group, and and we, we just never know what's going to happen with, with those sorts of teams. So I, I think there's a few. I, I, I suspect potentially that New Zealand has got the most generous of the draw, with uh, Norway will be difficult. They've got the Philippines and Switzerland. So uh, I'm really hoping that we'll see our our football ferns, uh, our neighbours from from across the ditch, get a first win at, at a World Cup. They've got Yitka Klimska coaching them, who Australians will be familiar with from her time with Canberra United. And uh, I, I just hope that they they can put on a show for, for their home fans. And it would be wonderful to see them have, have some success. The Philippines, of course, are coached by uh, Alan Stajic and have done amazing things, making the uh, the semifinals of the Asian Cup, which put them through to qualification for their first World Cup. And and I think they're just excited to be there. And, and Staj was realistic about the chances. This is a, a challenge for them, but equally uh, nothing to lose. And I think those teams are the most dangerous, those that, that have nothing to lose. and and they're just out there because it's uh, it's a wonderful opportunity and they can leave everything out on the pitch. Excellent, Stephanie Brantz.
Every week we say we love cooking and eating on this show. Now, last week um, I uh, I was uh, called out for trying to sing the Hoyts jingle and I got banned from singing it for a little while. I'll take a break this week. But our friends at Hoyts Herbs and Spices, they're not banned from giving tips and advice on flavour and taste for your kitchen. Now, boys, uh, do you like a, a dry rub for your steak or your barbecue foods? Yeah, not, love not it, love it. work on football. Well. Uh, love, on love it to love it. I can unequivocally say, uh, Rob, I love a dry rub. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, as I was saying, well, I'm, uh, nodding on the radio doesn't work on a podcast. So you, you, you love your barbecue food, don't you? That was a nod for Derek to come in and tell us how much he loves dry rubs. No, I do absolutely, Rob, particularly with the Hoyt's peppercorns, a uh, favourite flavour of mine. Absolutely. We'll try this one. So uh, equal parts salt, paprika, onion powder, garlic powder, dried oregano, as you said, Willem, the all-colour peppercorn mix, a teaspoon of light brown sugar, and a tablespoon of cumin. Make the rub, rub it in your steak, little olive oil, barbecue. Mate, it's going to transform your steak. No matter what steak you have, and no matter how much you love it, it's going to taste better with this rub. So get down to Coles, Woolworths, or your independent supermarkets. Get a hold of your Hoyts value packs. Make the rub, and you'll absolutely love it. Our friends, the Ocado family from Hoyts. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box and it's time to talk Liverpool. Now, it's not very often over the course of seven years where we uh, have not been able to deliver our uh, much-announced guest. Um, but on this occasion, we are having some technical, technical difficulties with James Pearce from The Athletics. So uh, I think that between Derek and I, um, we are familiar enough with the topic to be able to have the discussion ourselves. So we are going to carry on and, and I'm going to try and lift myself up after um, watching that car crash of a, of a Leeds match on the weekend and and um, then a, the the forest one the week before bookended by the the you know the what looked to be uh, a resurgence against Ajax so, um, so when you let's just isolate this to the Premier League matches themselves Derek it, it's the it's the manner of the defeat this time isn't it they were outgunned outmatched completely dominated by a side who statistically have been one of the worst in the Premier League up until this point of the season is, is that a fair analysis yeah I think that's spot on in terms of the analysis because I think we've we've been waiting for Liverpool to turn around their form basically all season. I think we've always said, oh, they'll get on a run. They'll get through the the next sticky patch of, of, of games. And look, home against Leeds must have, for all intents and purposes, looked like an absolute home banker for Liverpool. I'm sure uh, a defeat would have been absolutely far from the Liverpool fans' minds. Uh, this is a team, as you said, that have been one of the worst Premier League teams up until this point. Jesse Marsh is under all sorts of pressure. And even when... Liverpool went one now one nil down. The equaliser came from Salah, and that's always been the cue for uh, the big um, rallying cry from the cop and sucking the ball into the net. And if there was ever going to be a, a last minute winner, I think it was going to be Liverpool if we were looking at the odds. But Leeds absolutely turning the game on its head with a with a goal at the end there. And I think I wonder, Rob, as a as a Liverpool fan. You know, is 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 this the result that's not breaking the camel's back, but certainly is there some resignation now that this 
he's going to be a pretty up and down season in the Premier League. Oh, look, I, I think I declared it last week or the week before that um, uh, uh, that the, the league is, is over. Now, now that the difficulty, um, I think I mentioned off the top of the show, is really going to be about uh, uh, Champions League qualification. So, I mean, uh, the, the question is, uh, is, is non-qualification for the Champions League a disaster. I know we both read James Pierce's article uh, during the week where he says um, off the top of the article, it's the primary target for Liverpool before a ball is kicked each season. The significance of achieving it is always recognised by the Fenway Sports Group, the owners, Jurgen Klopp, his staff, uh, and it's the riches of Champions League that help Klopp to assemble the machine. So if, if they can't, I mean, short of winning the title, which automatically gets them in, into the Champions League for the following season... Um, then, uh, geez, uh, is it a disaster? It feels like it is. If they don't qualify for the Champions League, I think you just have to look at all of the other teams that have failed to qualify for the Champions League out of the so-called Big Six or mm. however you'd like to call it. Uh, Manchester United, clearly, they've sort of zigzagged in and out of it, but you can see that they've really suffered from non-Champions League qualification when, when Arsenal finally came to it ending that very long run under Arsene Wenger of qualification about four, five seasons ago. You've seen that Arsenal have been in the Europa League wilderness um, since then. It's had an impact on the income, particularly for a squad and a, and a business like like Arsenal, which um, uh, a bit like Liverpool uh, has American owners sort of will spend the money, but also will stick within their means from a financial fair play point of view. But but also just because they want to run smart. They want these Americans want to run smart businesses. The only club that maybe hasn't suffered from it is Chelsea. They did finish outside it, I'm pretty sure, um, at least once. And because they were being bankrolled by uh, Roman Abramovich at the time, that you know that was seen as a bit of a blip and they went and qualified for the following year. So, uh, look, it won't disaster. It depends on your definition of disaster. Mm. Yeah, and Liverpool will still be there afterwards. And Liverpool, mm. if they have to take their meds and, and, and play some Europa League football, then, mm. you know, um, it's, it's galling when you're used to eating at the top table of football. And I remember the first year when we didn't, we Arsenal didn't qualify for the Champions League, looking at some of the first fixtures and we were off to Grenoble and... Um, Minsk and some of these other, you know, great places. All due respect to those teams, it, it suddenly it was a kind of a hollow, a hollow feeling. So, um, what we know about Liverpool is that even though they've they've managed to compete amazingly well against state-backed, petrodollar-backed um, clubs, and they've done that because they've qualified regularly for the Champions League and been able to spend that money on the squad. And one of the issues is that the squad seems to be under scrutiny at the moment in terms of how strong it is. Jurgen Klopp um, clearly has got a lot of credit in the bank and will be given time. Um, but a double barrel question, you know, how much of what's going on rests at the feet of the coach? And and equally at the same time, when we hear about uh, managers, coaches losing the dressing room, what's happened to the pr the, the press, the, the famous Gagan press? Um, you know, it, uh, uh, it it's up to the manager to institute the system and then uh, uh, insist on players playing it. But the... Uh, the pressure of that press that has been synonymous with the, the golden years of Liverpool over the last several years 
is one of the key elements that that's missing right now and uh, and obvious to even the, the the least educated of observers that it's not um, at its uh, its high functioning um, elite level. No, 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 it's not the heavy metal football as uh, as he uh, as he used to call it. And yeah, the, watching the games recently, you just don't see the collective level of intensity. It doesn't mean that the players aren't trying hard, like far from it, like all footballers without, with very few exceptions, don't go and try and play a hundred percent of the game. I think, I think burnout is definitely a factor. Um, there is an argument to say that, you know, players, um, a bit like people move around jobs, I suppose you'd, you know, you sometimes when we get bored of listening to the same voice over and over again, you know, and, and, you know, it's potential, it's potential that even though the players don't necessarily recognize it themselves, are they absolutely tearing up um, every um, blade of grass in order to, to try and get, get to the ball, like the way that Manchester City are playing at the moment and to a lesser extent Arsenal uh, at the moment. Um, as you said, Klopp has got enormous amount of credit in the bank. Like there's definitely, I, I could not possibly envisage that there's any Liverpool fans who would be idiotic enough to start sort of no, sort of asking for uh, for Jurgen Klopp to um, to step aside after you know a few months where after um, years of excellence that you know the team is isn't isn't quite functioning. I'm you know a decent run will still take them back towards the the top of the Premier League. I think we've just expected it to come. And Klopp has looked a little bereft of ideas in interviews. He has been a bit tetchy. He's obviously got his red card on the, the side of the pitch against uh, Man City. Let's not forget, they beat Manchester City a few weeks ago. That's, mm-hmm. you know, forget the league table where Arsenal are top. But, you know, I think we all agree City are the best team in the Premier League, if not Europe at the moment. So they beat Manchester City, which is something that no other no other team this season has, has managed to do. So, yes, Klopp is going to have to try and figure out, uh, reinvent the squad to a degree. He's going to have to look at some signings. I think the the, win, the break for the World Cup will probably do him some good, Rob. Like, I think probably just get through these next two games, pick up four points, six points if he can, and then have a look at what he's got and, and think about some new combinations and or some new ways that he can play the team because the team isn't a rubbish team. It's it's a team that still should be competing at the top end of um, the Premier League. The European, European form shows that they're still a formidable side um, to play in Europe. I think every manager has their shelf life. You've had the likes of the dynastic managers of um, Ferguson and and Wenger, you know, to a degree. Um, Pep Guardiola is kind of getting into that category. Obviously, um, Klopp is, you know, he's a, one of the longest serving managers in the league. But the, the tendency now is to recycle, um, re, re, recycle. So I think Klopp has got this season and I think he's got, as actually, I think, I think he's got as long as he likes. Mm-hmm. I don't see Liverpool pushing him out unless, like, something really disastrous happens. And, I don't feel like not qualifying the Champions League is a disaster per se. Derek, thank you. Um, we'll stick around. We're going to talk World Cup Corner with uh, Willem back uh, after the break. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. This is World Cup Corner. Let's bring it home with a little bit of excitement. Uh, from Qatar, Michael is over there 
and he's getting very, very, very pumped about the whole thing. Uh, Edge, how are you, mate? Hi, Rob. Great to be talking to you again. Um, it's been a long time since we've had the opportunity to have a chat. Um, I'm doing very well. Uh, it's been extremely hectic over here in Doha as we prepare for all of our guests on the tour program and all the fun stuff we've got organised. It's been quite a fascinating experience over here in Doha. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to what's ahead. And uh, D-Day's almost arrived. Uh, not long until uh, my guests arrive in Doha on the 19th and 20th of November. And not long until Australia plays France on the 22nd of November. And that's what we're all here for. It's what we're looking forward to with great anticipation. Now, Edge, the Socceroos made a profound statement last week. We talked about this off the top of the show. Tell us how that statement on the workers and LGB. QT rights has been received on the ground. Here in Doha, the message has been received by some very welcomingly, but by others, it's been an awkward response. Um, obviously, many Qataris hold their culture and values dear to their heart, and in many ways, this message will challenge those values and culture. And like anything in the world, um, you know, the world is made up of many, many different races, religions, cultures. And some have practices that are acceptable to others, and some have practices that are not. So the Socceroos have added their voice to a weight of opinion that's come from the Western world in particular about the way Qatar organises itself and its laws. Now, whether the, that weight of opinion is starting to bear uh, some pressure on the authorities here for long-lasting change, only time will tell. But I'm sure you agree, uh, Rob and Willem, that uh, they did us proud with that message, and uh, we're all... Uh, now uh, looking forward to what they can do on the field. And Michael, I cannot wait to get over there and experience the Sukwa Kifa among everything that Doha has to offer. What's the latest news on the uh, general preparations for the final stages of the event? Great question, Willem. I must admit, I drive past areas in Doha every day or so and just can't believe the change that's uh, happening, especially all the temporary sites, the festival sites, the FIFA Live sites. Um, they're just coming along in leaps and bounds. Has been some news reports that will challenge Qatar. I did notice that uh, the England Hotel is still uh, not finished. Uh, they're racing to get uh, the hotel complete in time for the players when they arrive. Uh, there is many buildings in Qatar that you see that need to be ready for the World Cup, whether that's apartment accommodations or, or live sites and so forth that are still uh, under construction and there's just a team of workers uh, working around the clock to get them done. That's fairly normal for World Cups. Um, I remember in Brazil in 2014, the paint was dry on the on the Cuiabá Stadium uh, only hours before uh, Australia played Chile uh, in the opening game of that stadium's uh, program of, of matches. Um, and I must say that uh, there's no difference here with Qatar. The stadiums are ready. Uh, the transport systems are ready, uh, but probably where they're under pressure is just finishing off some of the massive amounts of accommodation that they need. It's an interesting time for Qatar. Um, no doubt there's a lot of pressure on some um, building contractors to meet their obligations. However, what I'm seeing is just a team of work, and each day that goes by, uh, they get closer to being in a position to ready the world. So it's a Herculean effort they're undertaking. There's going to be some late uh, deliveries of some aspects of this event, uh, probably accommodation towers mostly. However, um, they're in. They're up for the fight, the Qataris. They're doing everything that they need to do, um, albeit uh, at the last moment. Uh, and I, I guess we're, we've come to expect that with the World Cups, probably more so here in Qatar than previously. But 
I'm sure when people get here and get settled in their accommodation and start to attend games and live sites and festival sites and uh, uh, they're going to have the time of their lives. All right, Michael. Well, and you go back to uh, preparing for the World Cup with your mate Gianni Infantino and get it all sorted out. Make sure the accommodation's sorted. All those last tickets are sold and we'll talk to you again next week. Now, Willem, tell us, uh, you and Derek, we're having a bit of a yarn off air about uh, the England squad. Uh, I notice every time uh, you watch a, a, a game of the Premier League, uh, um, there's uh, Gareth Southgate seems to be travelling from one end of the country to the other. So whether he's actually seriously considering some of these last-minute selections or not, he it looks like he is. Yeah, it's always fiercely debated, the England squad. And I think just because of the general knowledge of the Premier League and the coverage here in Australia, even people who don't really have the, the sort of heartfelt connection to it have an opinion. So, Derek, you've obviously got the heartfelt you support Scotland, I suppose. But anyway, we'll, we'll get to it. Players throwing their hands up. Um, look at the, uh, the striker stocks. Harry Kane, obviously the man and the captain. But if they're going to go as deep as they want to go in the tournament, you need to call on uh, a deputy at some point. It might be to come off the bench late and get a goal. Uh, I think Marcus Rashford's probably the incumbent in that spot. Uh, the hipster's choice maybe around the start of the season was Ivan Tony, but uh, it might be uh, a gent up at Newcastle who's been... Uh, a player of significant promise and, and good output for a long time, had a lot of injuries as well, but might just be timing his run to perfection. Yeah, Callum Wilson, I don't think he will be the hips, the hips, uh, hipster's choice, but uh, he's scoring the goals at the moment and Newcastle are one of the form teams in the Premier League and it, and it kind of feeds into this narrative around around Eddie Howe and Newcastle that, yeah, they've spent a lot of money, but Callum Wilson was there before banging in the goals and Eddie Howe was just... Um, uh, you know, transformed him even for further. Um, two goals against Villa for him. Gareth Southgate was there, uh, as you said, but he was also there at Old Trafford too, as you said, and he saw uh, Marcus Rashford power in uh, his header. It was a great header. We thought that Marcus Rashford had just lost his way a little bit. Um, just didn't seem to didn't he didn't seem to have any impetus in his game really. That you know maybe lacking interest, getting lost in games, but. He certainly wasn't wasn't there, but I think probably with that header and the fact that Gareth is allowed to pick a fifty five man squad, I mean bloody hell, maybe I might get in with the uh, the Hillsville goal action that I've got going on. But um, we've got Ivan Tony, of course. You mentioned him; his goals have dried up a little bit. Tammy Abraham just hasn't started the season as uh, well for Roma as he as he did last season, but I'm sure he's still in the mix. Uh, and then Dominic Calvert Lewin has made it back. He has made it into uh Gareth Southgate's squads before. And one thing that we know about Gareth Southgate is he's pretty he's got a very fixed idea about his squad. He's quite loyal to those um he's picked. So I think also that loyalty will be tested to a degree because one player that was stinking the uh the place out in the Brighton Chelsea game was Raheem Sterling. He has not had a good start to life under Graham Potter uh, and he, yeah, he may not be the pure striker, but he's certainly part of the the front three axis alongside Saka and Foden. They're the people that um, that uh, Gareth Southgate likes in those areas. So, yeah, more questions than answers, I think, for Gareth at this point. Right, boys, let's wrap it up there. Um, thanks again for a great show. Great uh, chats with uh, with Steph Brands and, uh, and James Pierce as well. And the uh, World Cup's not far away, Derek. Thank you, mate. No problem, gents. Anytime. Well, Thank you, Rob. Looking forward to uh, our offside chat with uh, Ron Smith later in the week, one of the true gentlemen of, a, uh, of Australian football over the last 40 or so years.
yeah, that's going to be fun. We're going to do an extended conversation. And if you're familiar with Ron's story, even if you're not, um, then uh, make sure you listen to us, Ron. Uh, uh, Willem and I will have an extended conversation. And also keep a, a look out for stoppage time with Willem, um, Derek and myself uh, a little later on in the week as we're dropping these podcasts into your feed throughout the week. Please subscribe to all of those podcasts wherever you get them. Tweet us at box to box nts and follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as all of our podcasts drop. And we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.